You have to strive for what you want. You have to believe what you want. And fear is literally holding so many people back. The fear of failure, the fear of success, the fear of judgment from friends, family, and all these other members. So, I mean, while action is at the root of, you know, getting things done, that forward momentum, so to speak, you have to kind of eliminate that fear or mitigate that fear This is Your Career GPS, the podcast designed to help teens, young adults, students, new grads, and emerging professionals navigate their career journey. I'm Brad Minton. Welcome back to Your Career GPS podcast. I'm your host, Brad Minton. And as always, if you are a returning listener, can't thank you enough. You are the reason why I do this. And obviously, I wouldn't have a podcast if you didn't. So keep tuning in uh, for new episodes. And if you are a new listener, I want you to uh, definitely take advantage of the last two years and 80 plus episodes that we have been able to uh, put together covering uh, the most incredible subjects with the most amazing guests. And um, just really, really excited to have you tuning in and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts right now. Today's episode I'm really excited about is about the power of risk taking and uh, really getting in and taking some serious chances, even in the early stages of your career. You know, I've worked with so many young people over the course of the last decade, and um, there's naturally going to be an intimidation process uh, at the thought of doing anything that's out of the norm or taking chances, taking leaps of faith, whatever you want to call it. And but one of the things that I've seen time and time again is that kind of mindset can become conditioned and we can get stuck in bubbles of thinking and behaving that keep us limited um, and uh, afraid to take ourselves and rise to the challenge of the next level. I'm really, really excited today. Um, I've uh, met an incredible person named Chris Wilson, who I'm inviting on the podcast today, who's going to talk about this subject. And um, I'm really excited to dive into it. But I want to tell you a little snapshot about Chris. He's joining us today from Vancouver, Canada. He is a two-time published author of the books Optimal Health and Optimal Wealth. He runs a career coaching business at his home in Vancouver. Uh, he helps young professionals leave the job that they hate and transition to a career they love. He's published over 150 articles online dedicated to work, life, and productivity. He believes in working towards your goals and never giving up. So first of all, welcome, Chris. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. Happy to be here and welcome to Canada. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, absolutely. It's a little earlier where he's at over in Vancouver uh, to myself here in Metro Detroit, but uh, he's he's on it and uh, ready to uh, to tackle this subject. So, Chris, first, uh, you know, uh, I was really, really just so enthralled with your story the first time that you and I connected and learned a little bit about, you know, some of the amazing trials and tribulations of your own career journey. So I was kind of hoping you could just kind of take our listeners through a little bit of what you experienced on the front of taking chances. 
Yeah, so it, it all kind of started with me when I started working when I was 14. So I was kind of driven. My parents, you know, pushed me a little bit to, you know, work hard, earn kind of a good income in your career. So I always associated with, you know, having fun and doing what I love, passion projects with working. So I started at 14 as an assistant ski instructor, and it kind of went from there. And I did some jobs while I was in high school at a hardware store, some, you know, more mediocre, just minimum wage jobs to get by. But then when I graduated from high school, I really started looking at what I actually wanted to do. And this was a big turning point and, and fairly difficult situation and decision for me because like many of you out there listening is, you know, you don't know what you want to do and you have no idea. So following high school, I took a gap year. I took a year off because I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to school, if I wanted to, you know, become this type of person in my career. I wasn't sure on the path I wanted. So I took the gap year. I was working at the hardware store full time, saving up money and figuring out, digging deep into, you know, the online resources of what do I actually want to do? So as I said earlier is, you know, passion was important for me, having fun, you know, travel, adventure. I wanted to incorporate all these different things into what I was doing for my career. And then I came across helicopters. And that's kind of where things started to shift for me because I'm like, okay, helicopters, those are awesome. Those are cool, right? Mm -hmm. Flying machines in the air. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> love helicopters, you know, when they see them in the air? So I started to shift kind of my thinking as what if I could, you know, fly helicopters and what if I could actually do this for my career? So that's when we started, you know, putting the pieces together with my parents. I was 18 years old of, can I actually do this? Is this feasible? Do I have enough, you know, money or can I get student loans from the bank to make this work? And what that transition led to was moving from Barrie, Ontario, all the way to the other side of the country to Vancouver, BC to learn how to fly helicopters at 18. So that was the biggest initial risk that I took. And that was by myself, no family, no friends, one way plane ticket. See you later. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. You know, so that in and of itself is is pretty bold, pretty daring. Uh, I just wanted to to really, really ask you just about the proposition of moving cross country. You know, what kind of emotions did that come like for you? And, and what was that process like to ultimately pull the trigger? Yeah, I think the emotions, you know, for a hungry, determined 18 year old, you know, I was I was more excited. I don't think I had that fear quite yet built in enough because I hadn't, you know, had many huge failures in my life or huge setbacks because, you know, I just basically went to school leading up to that. So I was definitely really excited. I was really, you know, driven and determined. And I kind of, you know, was wanted this to happen. I was like, I want to be independent. I want to be, you know, separate from my family and stuff. So while it may have seemed like a huge risk, you know, at that time, I didn't actually see it as that. It was just, I was chasing that dream. I was chasing kind of, you know, something that I wanted to do and make a career and a profession out of it. So it was more just the excitement around, okay, you know what, let's, let's actually do this and let's have fun and kind of give it my all. Mm. What I love about that is, you know, I, I kind of talk about, I, I use the word magnetism sometimes. And I think um, what you kind of experienced there was, was just having something that you just hungered for so much, it just pulled you like a magnet and you were really, really 
captivated by what you could create and, and what you could do with that. So jump forward, if you wouldn't mind, um, into, you know, what that process was like afterwards and, you know, what you've kind of learned over time in your work in that helicopter business. Yeah, so that's that's an actual very interesting question, Brad. So so kind of what happened is I, I went to Vancouver by myself. I got my helicopter license, cost me around $50,000 Canadian. And it was a huge risk. And I really struggled to get a job out of you know the industry kind of after I graduated. So that was the biggest kind of hurdle that I was, you know, basically I had at that time. I was 18. I was open to moving anywhere in Canada, which is where kind of my license, you know, subsided in terms of the work I could do, but I couldn't find anything. And the reason why is I was 18, I was young, I was inexperienced, and I only had a hundred flight hours. So graduating to get your commercial helicopter pilot's license in Canada, at least, you need a minimum of a hundred hours. So that's what I had. And unfortunately, a lot of these companies wanted, you know, pilots with a thousand hours, 1500 hours, you know, 2500 hours. And that's due to liability, to insurance, to, you know, risk, you know, for the company and what they're doing and pursuing. So I really struggled that first six months and year. And that was, you know, the biggest failure probably of my entire life so far is I was in massive amounts of debt. My credit cards were maxed out. $55,000 total of, you know, consumer debt, so to speak, with student loans in there. And I couldn't find a job. So, you know, I kind of came to a point where I was struggling because I couldn't find work. So I fell back on some previous experience I had. So I started, you know, snowboard instructing on the side. I started working at a hardware store. And again, and this was, you know, a tough blow to me because here I am, you know, young and hungry and 18 now with this commercial helicopter pilot's license, ready to, you know, take on the world. And, you know, life happens differently than we think in our, in our own minds sometimes. So I couldn't find a job. I was broke. And it came to a point where I literally couldn't survive. I didn't have enough money and I really needed to reassess the whole situation and figure out what was next. And at that low point, I ended up making, you know, a phone call to my parents, to my mom and dad. And, you know, asking them for a little money to float me like for the next month or so, because I honestly didn't know how I was going to pay for rent, how I was going to pay for food, how I was going to pay my bills and expenses. And, you know, I was a real dark place that I needed to come out of. And what resulted in me having to actually fly back to Barrie, Ontario that year to move back in with my parents because I just wasn't working out. Yeah. So one of the things that really, really captivated me about this whole experience is um, how authentic and real this is and and unfortunately how much it mimics other people's journeys. Um, the part that I would love for you to be able to, um, to, to touch on is how the steps that you took there and we're kind of going to, you know, maybe get into a little bit more of a um, more expansive view of, you know, some of the advice and words of wisdom that you would give for young people today um, in in, uh, these respects. But for you, how did making those decisions um, and taking those leaps of faith how did it actually help you and prepare you for what was next? How did it guide you 
in terms of what steps that you needed to do or make you a, a more wise individual um, and uh, provide you with um, that sort of career wisdom? Yeah. So in terms of the wisdom I gained is I, I'm always a huge believer that failure is important to learning and growth. And I think there's a big disconnect that failure is bad. Failure is, you know, this thing that we never want to happen in our lives. And, you know, people define themselves because of their failures. Oh, I'm a failure now. But I looked at it completely differently. And that was, you know, failure is a part for me to figure it out. It's a part of trial and error, what's working, what's not working. And a way for me to reassess of, okay, now what do I need to do? What do I need to change and shift? in order to keep moving forward. So the dream wasn't quite dead, even though, you know, I had a lot of setbacks, so to speak, and I was in a really tough place. But I knew that that failure really was like kind of just a turning point where I needed a new direction, so to speak. And I had to take a different path that got me to the end result that really I was still looking for. And, and that's, that's really, I think, extremely powerful, everything that you just said, because for so many young individuals that are, are, you know, starting out, they're dealing with analysis paralysis, they're dealing with this overthinking process. And I, I've worked with so many that are just terrified to really take that first step. What I love about your story, and you haven't even really gotten to where you're at today, which is, you know, uh, considerably more successful. <laughs> but what I really loved about learning about your story is the fact that throughout those trials and tribulations, throughout the failures, as you said, you saw everything as a learning experience. Right. And it had to have been very humbling. I, you know, certainly I've encountered a lot of failure in my life and career as well. But every experience that you had was momentum. It was all building towards what was next. And the fact is there was still movement, regardless of whether the movement was rapid, slow, left, <laughs> right, whatever. There's still movement. Yeah. And so and what that did also arm you with is the correct recalibration that needed to take place in order yeah. to make better, more informed decisions. Anything is better than stagnation and you're a perfect representation of that. So I did want to ask you about that concept, analysis paralysis. This affects so many people about being concerned about making those right decisions. So um, from, from that standpoint, what thoughts do you have about, you know, how individuals can work through it. Yeah, I think analysis paralysis is pretty much at the top of its game right now in terms of, you know, careers and jobs and what people are dealing with. And for the reason for that is there's too much out there. There's too much everything. There's too many shows on Netflix. There's too many jobs. There's too much data, videos, and, you know, marketing and ads online that are trying to grab you in and suck your attention for every minute of every day. So because there's so much of everything right now, that limits kind of what you actually do and the actions you take because of the overwhelm. So you're feeling overwhelmed because there's a million things going on every day. There's a million things trying to distract you and grab your attention. So the best way that I've learned to deal with that is to narrow the focus onto minimal things that you want to do. So for example, if you want to focus on something, 
you know, for your day, instead of trying to do a list of 20, 25 different things that are going to get you this job, this career path, you know, focus on three, right? So have these three items of your day that are going to get you that job, that are going to get you that interview, that actually make a difference. And while three doesn't seem that much, that's exactly why it's so powerful. Because if you stick with these three things on Monday and then Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and et cetera, throughout the weeks, the months and years, that's what's going to make the difference in terms of the actions, not trying to do everything at once. Mm, brilliant, brilliant points there. Um, there's a, a quote that I throw around to my kids uh, all the time is that uh, we're drowning in information and starving for wisdom. And I think you just articulated <laughs> yeah. that because it's so true. We just there's so much, so much content, so much information, so much opinions, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's hard to really discern the truth um, and and direction through all of that. And so, mm. you know, such a great point strip it down really think about this isn't step 15 it's step one what can you do at step one what can you do that's going to lead into step two what are small incremental steps that are going to let you feel like you're gaining traction and building some momentum there um mm -hmm. i love that i love that Another element that I wanted to also ask you about was um, that, that you talk about is the fact that there's a lot of like belief. It's still getting thrown around this term of the dream job. You know, so many people think that, OK, there's this one thing out there that I'm meant to do and that I'm, you know, destined. That's that's going to be the thing that's going to make me mm -hmm. happy is this this dream job. And um, you've got maybe some different feelings about what that actually is. And, and um, so I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, the, the dream job is is a tough, a tough situation, because like you said, everyone thinks there's this, there's this shining light, or there's this, you know, token at the top of this mountain, where if you get it and cash it in, then your life's complete, you're happy, you're fulfilled, you're, you know, you're kind of rolling with it, so to speak. But unfortunately, you know, the dream job is, for me at least, took many iterations of failure, lots of learning, lots of growth. And the real truth is behind any job is that you're not going to love every single aspect about your job. You could be doing what you love. You could be a professional sports player, but there's always going to be something. There's always going to be certain metrics in that job, in that position that you're not going to enjoy. You're not going to you know, love to do. So in terms of dream job, what I like to consider, you know, what, you know, my calling is personally is helping others, is being passionate about my work, is doing something I enjoy every day. And of course, there's going to be elements of that job still that, you know, I don't enjoy or that, you know, I struggle with just like everyone else. So I think if you can combine these, you know, few things into what you do, you're going to have a lot better time at work and you're going to do a lot better work every day. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a huge message in there. And I really hope that the uh, the listeners of this podcast are, are taking notes because um, these are such great reminders. I think for so many people and it's and, and let's be real here. This isn't just, you know, a Gen Z thing. It's, you know, um, I'm a millennial. <laughs> I'm sure this applies to, to Gen X and baby boomers in, in certain degrees as well, um, especially through career change. We, we strive, you know, for 
you know, trying to find, particularly when we're unsatisfied or particularly when we just don't know what's next, we strive to really create this perfect scenario. And, and I think you really hit such a great point that I want all of our listeners to really take note of is that the task of the job is not what you're going to fall in love with. You're going to fall in love with the mission. You're going to fall in love with why you're doing it in the first place. As you said, you use the word calling. I think it's a great word. That's what you want to really, really anchor into is, is why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. And you may have times where you're going to be frustrated and you may have times where, you know, making that call or, you know, composing that email or doing the necessary paperwork or whatever it is, you know, maybe not going to be the most exciting thing day in and day out. And you might have difficult circumstances with your boss or your supervisor, but it is about why you're doing it. So Chris, I wanted to um, ask you just in terms of like, again, kind of those ones who are stagnant, who are stuck, who are afraid to take that first leap of faith. You are a shining example of somebody who just went, (laughs) I'm just going to take a step and not just take a step. I'm going to leap literally across my country and I'm going to like take a chance here. And as you pointed out, was it perfect? No. Did it come with struggle? Yes. And lots of it. But what that did for you really um, created uh, a lot of momentum that needed to take place. So for young people who are stuck, who are stagnant, what do you feel are maybe uh, a small step or maybe small steps that they could take to just get some momentum going? Yeah. So if you're stuck, like, you know, many people are these days, you know, the first thing to do, which I hate to say it because it sounds too simple, but is to take action is to stop thinking, you know, about the situation so much. And one way you can do that is by taking action is to kind of think of worst case scenario. So a lot of people, we build up all these fears, all these struggles in our head, like, oh my God, if I don't get this job or if I don't get into this school, like my life's over. But Really, you know, in the the grand scheme of things, it's a small, you know, pivot. It's a small struggle. It's a small challenge where it doesn't affect your whole life. You're not going to, you know, end it all because you didn't get into school or you didn't get in that job. So action kind of starts with not overthinking it, but also you can, you know, think of the worst case scenario because that gives you better perspective into, okay, you know, it's actually not as bad as I thought if I do fail or you know what it's actually maybe a better thing because now I can actually do this other thing that I really wanted to do so there's a book that I you know want to recommend to everyone to read kind of while it's on my mind now is to stop worrying and start living by Dale Carnegie and this is a book that I've read for many years now I refer to it often and it kind of has this idea of you know You have to strive for what you want. You have to believe what you want. And fear is literally holding so many people back. The fear of failure, the fear of success, the fear of judgment from friends, family, and all these other members. So, I mean, while action is at the root of, you know, getting things done, that forward momentum, so to speak, you have to kind of eliminate that fear or mitigate that fear, at least to one side as much as possible, because usually that is what's holding most people from taking those risks. That's a really, really interesting perspective. And I think it's, um, 
I think it's a really, really good reminder that oftentimes we don't take the actions that are necessary out of fear. And a lot of times the fear maybe is a bit unfounded or is exaggerated in some way. And I think it's really, as you said, it's important to actually think through the process in, in, instead of making it blurry, instead of just saying this, this terrible event could happen, really thinking uh, rationally about, is it likely? And even if it did, (laughs) (laughs) what, what actually um, would come of that? Do I not have the resiliency or the resolve to be able to work through it? If a situation like that came up again, um, or have I dealt with challenges like that in the past? And do I have the capacity to be able to work through it in the future? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, these are really, really important reminders to put things in perspective. So I really love that. I think that that's um, fantastic. One of the the things that I was kind of hoping that you could leap forward a little bit about is is you talked you, you talked in the early uh, part of this episode about the the struggle uh, that you encountered early in your career. But I was really interested in terms of today, what kind of things that you're doing today and maybe how you felt that the struggles that you encountered served a purpose for you and and, mm-hmm. and your ability to be able to do what you're doing now okay so the struggles there were definitely many more <laughs> so back <laughs> kind of you know when i when i didn't know you know what i was doing i couldn't get a job i had to do a massive pivot and that pivot basically came from a year of working at a hardware store again figuring out okay what can i do to get back in the industry what can i do to get back on my feet where Maybe it's not exactly flying right now, but that is the end goal, so to speak. And what I came across was a massive pivot, which was to become an aircraft maintenance engineer. So that required me to go back to school and to do basically training to do maintenance on aircraft and maintenance on helicopters. So I actually came up with that plan. I flew back to Vancouver, BC. I made it back out here and I went to school. I did four years of training with a year and a half of school, two and a half year apprenticeship. And then I started working right away in aircraft maintenance with helicopters. So that was kind of, you know, my foot in the door, so to speak. So I wasn't flying yet. I wasn't kind of on that path, but I was getting closer to it. I was in the industry. I had a job. I was getting paid. And fast forward about eight years from there, there was many more struggles. I got laid off eight times in eight years in that career. And I was flying just a little bit, but I mostly did maintenance from then on. I was getting a lot more experience. And around the eight-year mark, kind of in that industry with aircraft maintenance on helicopters, I really started to build that momentum. I really started to build that forward kind of momentum you were talking about earlier and rolling with my job. I was making really good money, six figures a year. I was on an awesome schedule eventually, two weeks on, two weeks off. And I started to do all these things that I really loved doing. I was traveling, you know, all over the USA, all over Canada. I was going to the Caribbean on time off. Like I was really just enjoying my life and the experiences while I was earning this income, while I was kind of an an expert at my job and a professional. But 
it didn't happen overnight, right? It took almost basically a decade of trying things, of, you know, getting laid off, of getting even fired from a particular job. And I want everyone to know on here too, it's not like I was slacking or I was, you know, limited in my ability. I had a good attitude. I was willing to work hard. And I had these attributes of a very good, you know, hardworking employee, but the industry was up and down and up and down as it so much is in aviation, summer being the really busy part, winter being, you know, the slow part where usually everything's stagnant. So over that eight years to decade, I learned that what we kind of have in our mind and what we think of as, you know, the end goal of all oh, this will happen in one year or two years or, you know, by three years, I'm going to be making, you know, six figures or seven figures is not typically the case. And what worked for me in that was consistency, the consistency of never giving up, the consistency of kind of believing in that end goal, in that dream. And it started to pay off, you know, in a lot longer time frame, but eventually it started to pay off for me, which was really good and really, you know, forward for me because I was like, all right, like I finally made it. Like this is ideally like, you know, my, my dream job, so to speak. I had a great schedule. I was making great money. You know, I was working on a good team at that time. And then that's when things started to change for me again, because I was at the top. I felt like I made it, but I couldn't really climb any higher. And, you know, I was kind of looking down on the massive staircase. I just rose up the last decade, so to speak. And it was kind of uncomfortable and unsettling for me because, you know, I, I felt like I had made it. You know, my parents thought I was a success. My friends thought I was a success. And I was in many aspects, but it was starting to kind of dawn on me like, this isn't really what I want to do for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years even in my career, even though I worked so hard to get to that place. And it took so many different, you know, challenges and failures and routes to get to that place. But I, then the wheels started turning again in my head and I started thinking again, okay, what's next? I think to to get to a place of both you know indecision all the way to get to the place where you were at you know experiencing high high levels of success and feeling like you are um really at the pinnacle of where you should be in terms of your career required that magnetic force it required the why um that that pulled you through the difficult times. It, it helped keep you engaged, um, as you said, never giving up. And so that allowed you the capacity to be able to get to that point where you have developed the mastery. Um, and then every, every failure, every uh, time that you know, whether it was getting laid off or uh, disruption in the industry, it was every bit of course correction. Every time you have a course correction, you learned. You learned what to do next. You learned how to take um, uh, the appropriate steps to move forward. The, the thing that, I, you know, is the embedded message in all of this is you couldn't know what to do next if you didn't do something first. And so that's a good quote. I'm going <laughs> to, sometimes I just drop those bombs out of nowhere, but no, I mean, I think, but it really, you know, it really, that, that's what, it, um, I think is so powerful about that story is, um, is that every time 
that that happened. It was really, it was you already in motion and, you know, being able to kind of figure out what you needed to do. So, um, so anyway, I just, this was such a powerful episode. Uh, one of the things that we uh, have asked over the course of two years of running this podcast is what is the best piece of career advice that you could pass along to the next generation based on, you know, some of the experiences that you've had? The best piece of career advice I could pass on is to always, always, always follow your heart and do what you love. I see so many people, you know, chasing, you know, just the nine to five because of money or, you know, doing something else because of this certain status in terms of their job title. But it's really important. And it was really important for me during my whole entire multiple careers to hmm. always make sure I'm doing what I love and I'm staying true to myself. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. I love that message. So, um, after, uh, conclusion of this episode coming out, I'm sure, uh, individuals are going to want to, uh, learn a little bit more about you and connect. So what are the best ways to do that? Where can people find you? You can find me on my website at chrismwilson.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Instagram, as well as YouTube at I am Chris M. Wilson. And, uh, and Chris is consistently uh, posting really, really great content, very empowering messages, good, good information for people, regardless of where they're at in terms of their career. But obviously, I think there's so much uh, impactful information um, in uh, what he's experienced in his story. And I think, uh, again, the, uh, the clear message today is that any action is better than no action. And uh, you will uh, come to uh, learn more about yourself in motion than you ever will standing still. So uh, thank you again, Chris. Uh, such a great episode. And want to make sure that you keep tuning in for our future content. This is your career GPS and your journey awaits.